Hey everybody, this is AJ, the Media and Creative Director for Lifehouse Church. We are so glad you're checking out our most recent message, and we hope it encourages you, challenges you, and most of all, inspires you to go show the world they are loved and highly valued. Enjoy the message. Man, so in 2008, um, two wonderful things happened in my life. Um, one of them is I married uh, the most amazing woman in the world, Kristen Moorhead. You know, I, the joke is that I married up, and that's both, you know, like in standards and in verticality. Um, earlier that year, in 2008, though, I, was, um, I got to graduate from Lee University. It's in Cleveland, Tennessee, if you've ever heard of it. Um, and uh, believe it or not, my degree is, is in pastoral ministries. I know that's shocking. I know that nobody would imagine that. Um, and I have my diploma. If you go into my office, it hangs on my wall right there by my ordination papers uh, where I, it shows that I'm an ordained minister of the Assemblies of God. I'm very proud of both of them. Still paying for the uh, diploma part. Um, that's uh, not really something I want to get into today, though. It kind of gets me... A little ill. Um, but there is something else that I received while I was at Lee besides a wife and besides a diploma. And I'm very happy about those two, but, but this one might be my favorite of the three. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No. I just had to say that because it's using kids' house, I can do that. I'm just kidding. But she knows how much this one means to me. Honestly, this is more important to me than my diploma. Like, legit. This is, this, it doesn't hang on the wall because I don't know how to do it, but I keep it close by at all times. You see, in my uh, second semester of my junior year at Lee, I took a class that is regarded in the, in the pastoral uh, uh, world at Lee as the most difficult class from the most difficult professor at Lee. And it was the history of Christianity taught by Dr. Don Bowdle. And uh, yeah, Kath, yeah, okay. He has since passed away. He, uh, it was, it, he, he was, even when I was there, he was, he was very much an elder statesman of the school. Had been there, like, not too long after Lee became a, a college. And um, he taught, he taught uh, Greek, and he, and he taught history of Christianity. He taught systematic theology and a few other classes. Uh, but history of Christianity was known to be the most difficult class at Lee for pastoral ministry major students. And so I walked in his class. It was, my, like I said, my second semester of my junior year. And, and when you meet Dr. Bowdle, he, is just a, he, he was a very unassuming, always very well-dressed, small, quiet man. But when you got in his presence, it was, he was just one of those people that you just knew the Lord was with this man. You know what I'm talking about? And, and he was just so kind. Uh, I went back to Lee uh, several years after I graduated, was walking through the halls of the religion building. He saw me uh, from uh, where he was see seated in his office walking through, and he said, well, hello, Mr. Moorhead. It just shocked me to death that he remembered who I was. Uh, he was just that kind of a person. But I remember being in his class, and, I mean, it's just one of those things. You know, this is going to be a hard class. Like, you know, like, and I'm, like, I was just, like, I just need to clear something up. Like, I was not a good student, okay? 
I was, I was the student that I never studied and like was pretty okay with B's and C's. Okay, I just, that's how I, that's what I did. If I could go back, I would change it, mostly because I realized now it would have saved me money if I'd have done things differently. But I didn't have enough sense to know that at the time. So, I'm in Dr. Battle's class, and you, you take two tests and you have one paper, and that is you have a midterm, a final, and a paper, and each counts for a third of your grade. And so the paper was due with the final exam. And the first day of class, our topics are assigned to us. Now, the norm for me in college was, okay, this is what my paper is on. It is due three months from now. So that means in two months and three weeks, I will start working on my paper. Can I get a witness in the house today? Okay. But with Dr. Bowdle, there was something about him that when he assigned me my paper and as he started talking, it was like, it was like he pulled something out of me. It was like he, want, he made me want to be better than I was. And so that day, I go to the library. I mean, like, I had been there three times my whole college career before this moment. I go to the library, and I start doing research on the Great Awakening and how it connected to the, the Revolutionary War, okay? The Great Awakening, how it connected to the Revolutionary War, that is not what my sermon's about today. It'll probably never be a sermon, but just so you know, that's what the paper was on. So I start reading all of this source material. I start looking at magazines and articles. I start studying American history in ways that I had never studied before. And I mean, I had a, a stack of books this tall that was lived in my dorm room throughout that semester as I prepared for that paper. And in this class, I worked harder than I'd ever worked before, knowing that his exams were coming up. And anybody remember, I don't know how many, I don't know what other schools did, but at Lee, it was, it was for me, it was the blue, book, blue books of death. You know, anybody, Braxton, so it's still, that's the thing, right? I don't know. Yeah, oh. Yeah, and, and so with Dr. Bowdle, this is what his tests were like. He would like give you three topics and he would say, tell me what you know. It was like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to do that. I don't know that much. Just ask me a question. Where's the multiple choice? There's always a chance, right? True or false, right? And um, so the first exam, I, I make an A and, 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 and my paper's coming up and I've been working hard on it. And I turn my paper in, I take my exam, or some, I don't remember how it all fell, but I knew that we had some class periods uh, after I turned my paper in. And on the day that we get our papers back, I'm sitting in class. This is a class of about 30, 30, 30 students. And, and you'll, you're about to know why I'm so proud of this paper. I received the greatest compliment of my life. He is standing in front of the class, and he says, and, and like, let me just give you a little, another little tidbit about Dr. Battle. Dr. Battle was old school. I mean, he was so old school, old school, like, didn't know what to do. You could not wear, he called them short britches. You couldn't wear those in his class. Chad, you're out, bro. Sorry. <laughs> the dress code at Lee had changed, but Dr. Battle was like, mm -mm, and nobody was going to argue with him. <laughs> Dr. Khan, the president, he's like, whatever Dr. Battle says. No short britches, no open-toed shoes for men because those are for women. Sorry, Chad, again. 
I love you so much. Look at you wearing man's shoes today. I'm so proud of you. That little nip in the air served you well. If you was wearing a cap, you better take that thing off before you even think about walking in the doors of his class. So, Don, you better watch yourself. I mean, he was old school, and he was always very quiet. And so you had to really listen to him as he was teaching and as he was talking. If he ever got loud, though, you better watch your back because lightning is about to come out of heaven and kill you. Like there would be times in the class, a little talk would be going on, and he would, he would shut it down fast. And so he stands in front of the class the day he's about to hand the papers out, and he's holding a stack of them. And you could just tell by the look on his face he was mad. And he says, class, I just want you to know, I am so disappointed in you. Which was like, I mean, just stab me in the face, why don't you? It was so, like, it was just like having him tell you that he's disappointed. I mean... It was, it was like, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Dr. Battle, like, that's how it felt. <laughs> and, he, and he says, but Mr. Moorhead, and then he, he named somebody else. I don't know who he was. He doesn't matter to me. I don't care. <laughs> he says, but Mr. Moorhead and blah, blah, blah. Your papers were master level work. Wow. And he hands them back, and I'm like, I'm just like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> And I get my paper, and, and the thing about Dr. Battle, if you took him, he wrote with green ink. And so I'm expecting that my paper to be flawless, but it wasn't. There's green ink everywhere, all the way through it, all, 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 all through it. See, there's still green ink. Most of it was punctuation because, you know, I'm a Mississippi boy, and that's just how we roll. And, um, but he gave it back to me, and I had an A, and I made an A in the class. Now... There was another class that I took that same semester that was a freshman-level class called Healthy and Effective Lifestyles. <laughs> Obviously, it didn't take. Fresh, and see, I didn't take it because I didn't go to Lee as a freshman. I transferred in as a sophomore, but it was a requirement in order for me to graduate. And I barely passed that class because the standards were so low you basically just had to show up, and there was a book. I didn't read anything. I didn't listen to anything. I, I wasn't there for anything. And literally, that class dropped my GPA so much that semester, I was almost in trouble. And I just want to talk to you today about raising the bar. And the reason why a lot of us need to raise the bar in our own lives is because you will reach the standards that you set for yourself. And if you will raise the bar, the chances of you living up to your own expectations are pretty good. But the problem for a lot of us who follow Jesus is we are content with get-by Christianity. We are content, just give me the D and let me go on. But I'm just here to tell you that Jesus is worth more than your get-by effort. I'm here today to tell you that Jesus is calling each and every one of us to raise the bar in our lives. Now, we're not talking about salvation today. We're not talking about, am I going to get to go to heaven or does Jesus love me? He loves you just like you are right where you are. But here's the thing. He loves you too much to leave you as you are. And we need to realize that, that he wants more from us because he wants more for us.
I'm going to say that again. There's a little section in your bulletin that has notes written on it, and you need to write it down. He wants more from us because he wants more for us. There's this one story in, in John chapter 2, and I, this isn't the subject of my message, but it's always, uh, I just always liked it because it makes sense in my mind. Jesus is at a wedding, and they run out of wine, right? And he goes to the servants of the ceremony, and he says, fill up the jars. And what, I, what is interesting to me about this, uh, this miracle is that there was a human component to it being accomplished. He says to them, fill up the jars. And so they fill up the jars, but there's a, very, there's a two word, or a word in there uh, that, that is very specific that you need to know, and it's in pretty much every translation you read the story in. They didn't just fill up the jars halfway. They didn't just fill up the jars three quarters of the way. They filled up the jars, the Bible says, to the brim. And so what they put in to those jars determined what they got out of those jars, right? And what you choose and what I choose to put into my life of following Jesus will determine what I will receive in my life from following Jesus. Now, we're not talking about you getting to heaven, but we are talking about what are you doing to impact who's going to be in heaven. We're not talking about, are you, are you saying that God doesn't love me if I don't? Absolutely not. But we are talking about your ability to impact others with the love of God if you don't. That's good preaching. Amen. And so here we are in First Corinthians, or Second Corinthians, and Paul is wanting to encourage this church to raise the bar. Now, I told you the title or the subtitle of my Bible says a call to generous giving. But I want to change that word giving to say a call to generous living. Because living generously is so much more than just how much money I give away, right? It's how I live my life on a daily level. You can be generous in the encouragement you give to others. You can be generous in, in, in opening up your home to somebody. You can be generous in the time that you take to spend with someone. And this, this is what he says again in verse 1. He says, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. Now, this is really interesting because if you, if, you, if you do some research, you find out that the city of Corinth and the cities of Macedonia are not very friendly with one another. And so Paul is starting this, this, this monologue with this comparison, and he is intentionally, Paul, Paul's kind of a, you know, Paul, yeah. Paul is intentionally prodding at a sore spot at them. And he's saying, I want you to know how amazing the churches are in Macedonia. So it would be as if, if you're a Tennessee fan, anybody a Tennessee fan? Not a lot of them today because they know better. They've learned it, you know, why support something that will never support you back? Is baseball still a sport? I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> everybody's like, When's this going to be over? i got to get out of here now. It would, be, it would be like comparing, if you're a Tennessee fan, or if, especially if you played for the University of Tennessee, somebody comparing, you're like, well, you know, down there in Alabama, 
This is what they do. They win. <laughs> now, I hate Alabama, but Ben's not in here, is he? Good, I don't want to look at him. <laughs> Somebody told me I said that later. Alabama. He's got that Alabama stuff all over his truck. I don't even know what he's thinking. So Paul is making a comparison here that is going to get their attention. He's talking about a location. He's talking about not just the church, but he's talking about this area that if you were a citizen of Corinth, you would have a bad taste in your mouth about the area of Macedonia. But he does a good thing in that he does make a comparison. Now, ultimately, last week, we talked a lot about how comparisons can actually be detrimental to our growth in the Lord. But that's the wrong kind of comparisons. You know, the wrong kind of comparisons are the kind of comparisons that remind me of the things that I can't change. Right? So like, for instance, we just got back from a men's conference yesterday. It was incredible. Who went to the men's conference? Who's in here? Yeah. <clears throat> it was a lot of fun. Next year, I hope a lot more of you will go. Ladies' conference will be coming up this year, later this year. Ladies, you need to go. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be incredible. You need to be part of it. Well, we heard three fantastic preachers uh, Friday and Saturday at our conference. And, and I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to these, these people preach. And the whole time I'm thinking, oh, I wish there wasn't anybody from my church here. <laughs> oh, man, I'm never, I, don't, I, I just can't do that. I don't have the expository ability of Pastor Jeremy, you guys who were there. I mean, gracious he is just an incredible expositor. He exposes the word. Is what That's the expository. And then Pastor Eddie Turner spoke yesterday morning. He, he, he saw Jesus face to face. I mean, I've seen Kristen face to face, and that's as close as I've ever gotten, right? <laughs> Actually, I was on a stool, but I saw her face to face. And then there was Pastor Galen who spoke later yesterday. And honestly, at the beginning, he messed me up because at the beginning of his message, he, he shared his weight, how much he weighs. And I thought, well, I weigh the same as him. But it looks so different on me than it does him. <laughs> I mean, his arms were the size of my head, right? And I was like, oh, I just, that's the wrong kind of comparison. Reminding yourself of something that you're not supposed to be. Reminding yourself of something that you can't change. Or maybe comparing your story to somebody else's snapshot, right? But then there's the right kind of comparison. And those are the ones that inspire us and possibly even challenge us to reach further, to dig deeper, to push harder. And so that's what Paul is setting the stage for here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is he's helping the church at Corinth to know that, hey, there are, other church, there are other churches out there, and there's an area where they are excelling, and, and you're not. But listen, if you wanted to, you most certainly could. So I want you to know what they're doing right so that you can see what you're not doing right, and then you can raise the bar on yourself. Just like Dr. Battle, when he walked into the room, he made me want to be better. He did. And Paul, to the best of his ability, is doing his very best to say, hey, church at Corinth, I want you to be better. I want you to want to be better. And he goes on in verse 2. He says, speaking of the church in Macedonia, they're being tested 
by many troubles, and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. So Paul is putting these things together that normally we would never put together. He is saying, okay, on the one hand, they are poor. And he's actually very explicit. Like, they're not poor like, man, I hope we can pay our bills this week. No, he says, they are poor like, hey, we haven't eaten in three days poor. They are very poor. But they are overflowing with abundant joy. They are filled with abundant joy. And what Paul is saying is like, these two normally don't fit together. Like, wondering where your next meal is going to come from and being filled with abundant joy are, are usually not joined together in the same person. But Paul is saying that they are in the case of the people of the churches in Macedonia. And here's, 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 here's a hard truth. I have never felt, I have never met a selfish person who was happy. I have never met a greedy person who was happy. Now, they might have had the stuff that normally makes people happy, but they were not happy. But I have also, in the same vein, I have never met a generous person who wasn't filled with joy. He goes on, he says, I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. He said in the, first, in the verse before that they were rich in generosity. They weren't rich in possessions. They weren't rich in wealth. But they were rich in generosity. That they gave not only what they could give, they gave what people would say, you're foolish if you give that. And that for them was rich generosity. But what the real kicker there is that last sentence. They did it not because they felt like they had to. And we're going to actually go a little deeper into it. They didn't do it because somebody promised them a great blessing in return if they would be obedient to the, to the man of God. They did it because they wanted to. They did it of their own free will. Paul says in verse 4, they begged us again and again for the privilege, say that word privilege, for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. So what is happening is in Jerusalem, the church is in a lot of trouble and it is struggling really bad because of persecution and different things. And so they are literally fundraising to help support the church and the families from the church of Jerusalem. And so this church, these churches in Macedonia are begging. They are begging to be part of the mission to share Jesus with people. Which is, and I don't want to like, I want to be careful how I say this. But I am begging people to run cameras. I am begging people to work in our nursery. 
I'm begging people to stand in a parking lot and hold up a sign that says, we love you. Now listen, I love you, but we need to raise the bar. Are you okay? You all right? Am I hurting your feelings? Because I actually want to just a little bit. Not a lot of bit, but just a little bit. How sad is it of us that we have to, as leaders, to twist people's arms? And honestly, though, if I'm being really truthful with you, it's not your fault. It's mine. Because I haven't raised the bar. But guess what? We're raising the bar. And you're going to step up, and I'm going to step up, and we're going to step up. Because there are people all over the Oak Ridge area all over, all these different cities, Powell, Carnes, Halls, Clinton, Oliver Springs, Farragut, Knoxville, they need to know that they are loved and highly valued. And so we gotta raise our own bar, right? You guys okay? I know it was kind of like, they were begging to be part. He goes on to verse five, he says, they even did more than we had hoped for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord. Now that's part of our problem for a lot of us is that you have not completely given yourself to the Lord. You've held something back from Him. Maybe you've held your time back from Him. Maybe you've held your skill set or your talents back from Him. Maybe, maybe you just refuse to give financially because you think that somebody else will pick up the tab. I, I guess I got too bold yesterday during that last sermon. They did more than we had even hoped for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. You know why they went above and beyond? Because they understood the eternal significance of their gift. For them it wasn't just financial it wasn't just a slot on the calendar. It wasn't just, just them serving. It was, it was eternal. And, and something that I have learned and that I am learning is that as I give myself to Jesus, and which, which isn't a one-time deal, right? I don't, it's not a one-and-done thing. It's a, it's a daily thing. As I give myself to Jesus, as I encounter situations where I might want to do one thing, but I know that that is not the thing that Jesus would want me to do, and so I die to myself, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And so the life that I now live, I don't live to do what Drew wants to do, I live to do what Jesus has called me to do. And so as I daily give myself to the Lord, and as I daily give myself to Jesus, I have learned and am learning and hope to continue to learn that the more of me I give to him, the more of himself he gives to me. It's like the story when Jesus fed the 5,000, you know, not including the women and the children, it, 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 they, they had some food. They just didn't have very much, right? And so what happens for us, and this, this is not about 
our finances. This isn't about our time. This isn't isn't about anything specific to our lives. It's just about our lives. It's about all of it, everything. I can't compartmentalize who I am for God. If, if, if If I refuse to serve God with my time, I can't make up for it by giving God more money. If I refuse to give God the tithe, I can't make up for it by serving more in the church. That's not how it works. He wants it all. Every bit of it belongs to him. And so as they, as they took the food that they did have, which wasn't very much, and they gave it to Jesus, Jesus took it in his hands, and then he took what they had given him, and what did he do? No. He gave it back to them. Sorry, I love you, but you, you were right. It just wasn't where I wanted to go. You know what I mean? You weren't wrong. I just I had a plan. Jesus received what they had. It's, it's, it's incredible. He doesn't directly start giving it to the crowds. He gives it back to the people that gave it to him. And then what does he tell them to do with it? Give it, yeah, distribute it, give it out. And then when it was all said and done, anywhere from 10 to 20,000 people ate until they could not eat anymore. And there were 12 baskets of leftovers. How many disciples? So they had leftovers, right? It's like the hush puppies yesterday. It was so good. Y'all missed out. He always, listen, if you give God your time, I know you don't have time to spare, but if you will give him your time, you'll have more time than you can know what to do with. If you will give God your treasure, if you will be obedient and generous in your finances, you will have more to give than you've ever had before. If you will give God your talent, if you'll give him what you do have. So, you know, I, I have some computer experience. Well, guess what? We need people to run computers. Listen, I like babies. Or, you know what, I can tolerate babies. We'll, we'll take that. We'll take that. We'll go with that. I do not want to murder children. Maybe that's, that's best where you stand. I have seen somebody change a diaper. Whatever. We can use that. God can use that. Now, listen. It seems like small things. We're talking about a tithe. We're talking about a sign. We're talking about maybe singing or playing an instrument. We're talking about these things that if you take the singular action of that thing and you isolate it, it doesn't look like a lot. But as you give it to Jesus and you say, God, I don't feel like this as much, In response, though, he says, well, what you have is, it's all I want. He takes it. He blesses it. He gives it back to you, and he multiplies it. And when we all do that together, think about Christianity for a moment. It began with 11 people, because remember, one of them, he gone, right? It began with 11 men who did not have a formal education, who did not have formal uh, training as far as in the synagogues, as scribes or as Pharisees. They had no accolades. 
They had nothing that this world would have credited to them to make them worthy of, of spreading the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what they did have, they gave to the Lord. However small and meager and seemingly insignificant it was, they gave it to the Lord. And today, around the world, there are three billion people who will gather in churches, some of them hidden away, some of them larger than we can imagine, some of them in homes. Three billion people around the world will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus because they gave him what they had. And what will future generations say about us? Man. He understood, though, the way that you serve God is you serve his people. It's not how much you pray. Listen, pray. Prayer is important. It's not in how exuberant you worship. Worship, you need to. It's not in how much scripture you memorize, although it's a great thing to do. But if you want to honor God, love his people. Serve his people. If you want to bless me, bless my kids, bless my bride. If you want to bless the Lord, bless his bride. Bless his kids. The church is the bride of Christ. And his kids are anybody that are made in the image of him. Raise the bar. Raise the bar. So we have encouraged Titus, or we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Here's what we can learn from the Macedonians. We can allow ourselves to be challenged by their faithfulness. We can allow ourselves to be inspired by their generosity. And we can look to them to learn how we can raise the bar in our own lives and in our own church so that our own community and those watching online. You guys don't know this, but there's a man in California named Jeff who if the the Lord provides for him, I probably shouldn't do this, but it's too late now. (laughs) You know, you start start talking and then afterwards you're like, "Ah, get that back, but it's too late. They have every intention as the Lord provides to move them and their family to this area primarily because they want to be part of this church because they watched our services online. That's a big, that's a big deal. Second Corinthians verse, or chapter eight, verse seven. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. It's interesting because this is somewhat of, an, uh, of a, 
a repeat in a very condensed way of what he said in 1 Corinthians 13 regarding love. You're gifted in faith, you're gifted in speaking, you're gifted in knowledge. The church at Corinth was a very um, exuberant church. It was a growing church. It was a, it was a large church. There were some problems there, which is mostly addressed in 1 Corinthians. But he says, you might have the gift of faith. People might be getting healed in your services. He says, but if you're not generous, these other gifts, they will never be what they could be. He goes on in verse 8, he says, I'm not commanding you to do this. In other words, heaven and hell aren't in the balance here. But those that you might impact in regards to heaven or hell, they are in the balance. And then in verse 9, it says, you know, and this is, this is, this is the anchor verse right here. You know, you, you know, you know how good God is to you. You, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. And that, that word in the Greek, I'm not going to try to pronounce it because it kind of sounds like a bad word and I don't want to mess that up. But it's not just like, it, it, it is poor. Like, like it, it means to be destitute, to be poor as a beggar, to be reduced to extreme poverty. He became so poor that by his poverty, he could make you rich. You know that you are most Christ-like, not when you pray, not when you worship, not when you read your Bible, but when you give. When you give of yourself. That's when you're the most like Jesus. So how can we raise the bar? Real quick. Four, four thoughts. Be moved by what moves God. Bottom line, we care way too much about things that don't matter and way too little about things that do. We care, write it down. Seriously, write it down. We care way too little or way too much about things that don't matter and way too little about things that do. The Macedonians were passionate for God and for the things of God. And the reason why they were passionate for God and for the things of God is because God had worked miraculously in their own lives. And so they became sensitive to the, to the desires of God, so much so that their hearts became aligned with the heart of God. What moves the heart of God? Loving the people that God loves. Second thing, know that your resources are not your own. Raise the bar. Know that your resources are not your own. So number one, be moved by what moves God. Number two, know that your resources are not your own. 
Around Christmas this past year, there's a gentleman in our church who is here today that I will not name because he actually requested back then that I keep it private. But he came to me and he gave me some money. I was really excited because I like getting money. But then he, he told me the bad news. He said, he said, this isn't for you. He said, I know that you will encounter people during Christmas that, that will be in need. Who may not be able to buy gifts for their children, things like that. And he said, I want you to take this money and I, as you meet people, as you hear about needs, I want you to give it away to them. And can I just tell you, like, honestly, it was not hard to give away that money. But do you know why it wasn't hard to give away that money? It wasn't mine. It didn't cost me anything. But how many of you understand that everything you have is not yours either? Nothing belongs to you. It's all a gift. Nothing's mine. I get to be a steward. Some of us are better stewards than others. My time isn't my time. My money, is it my money? My, my talents, as few as they are, they're still not mine. My mouth, my mind, is it mine? It belongs to the Lord. When you live, when you, when you learn to live with open hands, that, that, you know, everything I've got, it's just, it's just, when you learn to live with open hands, I believe with all my heart you'll live under an open heaven. Right. Understand the bigger mission. How do we raise the bar? We, we allow ourselves to be moved by what moves God. We, we know that our resources are not our own and then we understand the bigger mission. Like I said earlier, in this passage the church is booming, the gospel is being preached, and the kingdom of God is advancing. And the Macedonians understood the big picture. They could have even said to themselves, you know, let's take this money that we're sending to Jerusalem and let's invest it in our own church. Because we're, we're struggling right now. We, we've got people in our own church that are struggling to pay their bills. We've got people in our own church that are struggling to provide for their families. So, so why don't we, instead of sending this to Jerusalem, how about we just look out for ourselves? You know, every month, right now, we're giving away 2,000 to missions, about 1,500 to missions. And I think to myself, I, ha I, I have thought it. I, I don't dwell on this thought, but I, thought, I think to myself, man, we could do a lot with that over the course of a year. That would buy a lot of equipment that we need to buy. That would, that would be nice if we put that 1500 into a savings account until we were able to put a new roof on this building, which we desperately need, right? But, but we have to understand the big picture. We have to raise the bar so much so that we don't just think about what we need, but what does God want us to do with what we have? Dave Ramsey has a quote, and he doesn't, he doesn't really use it in this context, but it, but it works well, though. The reason why the Macedonians were able to give away something that they could have used for themselves is because they understood the big picture. And the big picture is this, is that God wants to call you and call each one of us and to call them 
to a, to a way of life where we do not make earthly investments, but where we make eternal investments. And so Dave, Dave Ramsey says, you know, live like nobody else today so that you can live like nobody else tomorrow, right? Well, live like nobody else in this life so that in eternity you can live like nobody else. And then they raise the bar by remembering that it is an honor to participate in the mission. Don, will you help me? It is an honor to participate in the mission. They literally begged to be part of the relief effort for the Jerusalem church. Why? That's a good question. Why, why give up my time? Why give up my resources? I think about missionaries that I know personally that move to countries that don't want them there. That if they find out that they are a Christian missionary, that they, along with their 10-year-old son, thinking of a particular family right now, will be executed for their faith. But they go there anyway. They've been there for eight years now. And they go there anyway. And they preach the gospel of Jesus, forsaking all else. Not, not a possession to their name in this country. Not a house, not a car, Nothing. They go, they give it all, they spend themselves, they pour out everything they are in a country that does not want them to show them a God that they don't want. But they do it. They've given their lives for it. And once again, I'm not trying to beat you up, but I'm trying to help you see and gain perspective. Here we are today, literally begging some of you, hey, can you help us in our nursery? You okay? Like, I struggle talking like this because I know that I can come across in a way that may make you not want to come back to church. But hey, listen. If you don't want to raise the bar, that's on you. But I got to answer to God one day for myself. And I'm not going to stand before Him and know that I was too afraid of you leaving the church to offer you the challenge to step up and raise the bar in your own life. Because I'm not worried about, I mean, I am. But I am choosing to face the fear. Because I got to raise the bar in my own life. And part of me raising the bar in my own life means that sometimes I have to be uncomfortably confrontational with people that I love that I love enough to say, listen, it's time to step it up. So, so, so why did the church in Macedonia do this? Why, why do my friends that I know go to the other side of the planet risking their lives to preach the gospel? Why does a 15-year-old from Sebastopol, Mississippi make the commitment to, to God wherever you send me I'll go whatever you want me to do I'll do 
Jesus. And Jesus, God, became human. And Jesus' divinity wrapped itself in flesh and blood. And Jesus, God Almighty, took the place of the lowest of the low. And Jesus, the sovereign Lord, became subject to the ones he had formed in their mother's wombs. And Jesus, the beloved of heaven, became the rejected of man. And Jesus, the spotless lamb, became the sacrifice for all of sin. And in Jesus, life itself became the substitute for death. And when you know him, and when you realize what he's actually done for you, raising the bar does not become a chore. It becomes a privilege. When I walked into Dr. Bowdle's class, I was scared because... I thought, man, I hope I pass this class. But the more I realized what kind of man he was and how humble he was, but also how much he cared about his students, it became a joy to me to spend hours researching a subject that I know way more about than I ever should have. Now, and when you know him, what did the Macedonians first do? They gave themselves to the Lord and so today with every head bowed and every eye closed nobody looking around today if, if you need to give yourself to the Lord maybe you need to give yourself to him for the first time maybe it's the first time for real or maybe you have just walked away from that relationship listen if you will give yourself to him he will give yourself to you in a way that you could never imagine so today, if there's anybody in this room, I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to do anything to, to bring attention to you. But if today your prayer is, Pastor Drew, I, I want to give myself to the Lord first and foremost. Would you raise your hand high in the air right where you are? I see you, buddy. Is there anybody else? Lifehouse family, would you pray this prayer with me? all across the room Lord Jesus I give myself to you I give you my sin I give you my anxiety I give you my worries I give you my past my present and my future I want to live for you I want you to live in me, to use me for your glory as I give myself to you. Can we celebrate that one hand, that one person? And if you're joining us online and you prayed that prayer, let us know. Now, for everybody else, Let's raise the bar. Let's raise our bar. Let's go further. Let's dig deeper. Let's push harder. Let's live generously. Let's give God our very best as he has given his very best to us. Not just 
please understand, I, I want you to get involved in our church if you're not. I want you to give financially if you're not. I want you to, to support us with, with the skills and the talents that the Lord has given you if you're not already doing so. But, but what you do in here is just where it begins. What, what you do out there, that's what's going to make the biggest difference. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, today, as we go, we raise the bar. Lord, we don't necessarily know where to put it, but God, as you lead us, we're raising the bar. And maybe today, God, we're going to give for the first time. Maybe today, we're going to sign up to serve somewhere. Maybe today, we're going to cross the yard and talk to a neighbor that we've been ignoring. Maybe today, we're going to show love to a server at a restaurant, even if they got our order wrong. In our life today, in our life to come, God, we want to live generous lives reflecting the generous love that Jesus has given to each and to every one of us and Lord you never ask us to do something you don't first do yourself you first gave to us you first were generous to us you exemplified what a life of generosity looks like and so we look to you today as our example. We look to you, God, as our inspiration. And as we remember the generosity, the grace, the goodness, the love that you have given us, Lord, I pray that it would be an inspiration to each and every one of us to raise the bar in our life, to live more generously, to love more freely, to give without regards of what we're going to get to serve, Lord, not because we want to receive, but Lord, because we want to give. We want to give you. God, we commit ourselves to you, to your work. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege to be part of it. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name.